I started writing Epsilon Theory because I was in a pretty dark place. Right? Because I didn't see, I saw all the stories and the narratives and it seemed to be pretty hopeless. But it's precisely in writing it and finding that there are hundreds of thousands of people all over the world who, like you, Connor, are truth seekers. And we're just trying to figure this shit out. Right? And so long as we can find each other, then I've got, I've got all the hope in the world because this is how the world changes. It, it always changes from the bottom up, not from the yeah. top down. The world really changes from the bottom up. Hey everyone, how's it going? My name is Connor Devine and you're watching Money and Plants. This is episode number 49 of the podcast. And in this conversation, I'm going to be speaking to the wonderful Ben Hunt. Who is Ben Hunt? Well, for me anyway, I think Ben Hunt is one of the most interesting critical thinkers right now in the United States. He is also a PhD. He's got a PhD in political science from Harvard University. He has managed his own hedge fund, his own billion dollar hedge fund. He has also co-founded multiple tech companies. He's been investing for 40 years. He's been studying human behavior for 40 odd years. But over the last 10 years, he has probably left the conventional professional world and he has started this blog, this website, this database called Epsilon Theory. And for anybody who's interested in business, trying to figure out human behavior, trying to figure out why people do the things that they do, then Epsilon Theory is a resource that you have to check out. It's an amazing piece of work. It's an amazing resource. And Ben is, I would say, easily one of the most fascinating thinkers that I have ever had in the podcast and probably that I've ever spoken to. Um, an incredibly articulate individual. He seems to understand lots of things and is able to break it down into layman's terms so people like you and me can understand it. Um, we have a wonderful conversation around human behavior, around big tech, the impact of big pharma, of big politics, of how what, hap what is happening right now in the world, how that influences our own thoughts, which then influences how we behave and how we react to big world events. It was a, it was a really big conversation. I didn't expect it to be as big as it was, but how about I roll the tape and then I'll do a sum up, which I always do at the end of every podcast. I hope you enjoy this conversation between myself and Ben Hunt in Connecticut earlier this week on Money and Plants. So Ben Hunt, you're really welcome to my podcast, Money and Plants. It's fantastic to speak to you. I've been following your work only for three or four months, so please forgive me. <laughs> uh, you, you have been writing Epsilon Theory for, I believe, 
since 2013. So I would love you to give me a brief introduction um, just to yourself, because obviously I'm in Ireland. Sure, in, Connor. In Connecticut. No, no, so. thanks, thanks, thanks for having me on. Happy to happy to be here. Now, I've I've done a lot of different things. Uh, as my wife likes to say, I have a hard time keeping a job. I was uh, I was a professor, an academic, a professor of political science of all oxymorons um, for 10 years. So I was a tenured professor. But I, I suspect, like a lot of your listeners, I always had the entrepreneurial bug. And so I uh, left academia to start a software company. Uh, and then I sold the software company and got into the world of investing from there. And uh, you know, started a hedge fund and um, you know, worked in a, you know, a number of, of, of places, but I, it was really in 2013, like you say, about, about 10 years ago, or coming up on 10 years, that I started writing what I call Epsilon Theory. And it's an examination of, call it narrative, right? And the way that impacts politics and um, markets. What, what we mean by narrative, though, is the common thread that's gone through at least my professional career of academia and software company and then investing, and that's looking at what we call unstructured data. So it's the words that we read, it's the um, speeches that we listen to, it's the things we hear on television, it's what we read on our, um, you know, iPhones and you know smartphones. It's it's all of these messages that we are inundated with, morning, noon, and night. And the the gist of what I write about and how I invest in the software company and academic research is that we human beings we are quite literally hardwired, meaning that our brains are evolved. And we have neural clusters that respond to language, and not just language, generally speaking, but linguistic patterns, stories, scripts, you know, plots that have a beginning and a middle and an end. And once you start looking for that, first of all, you'll see it everywhere. But the, the, the point of the research and the writing that we do is that once you start looking for it, once you start recognizing it, you can become a better investor, a better citizen, a better partner and parent and child, you know, a better, a better human being by recognizing how we are surrounded by these messages, these story arcs, these scripts, and how people try to use them intentionally to alter our behavior. And so being able to create that sort of critical distance to recognize when you're being played, it just helps us become better people. So yeah. that's, that's, that's the, the long-winded introduction, but that's what I do. And uh, that's why I'm so happy to be on your podcast. Yeah. And so it, you, you've been writing an Epsilon Theory uh, for about 10 years. And it's, it's a blog. It's a website. You've over 100,000 um, subscribers. Yep. And it, it's, it's an amazing resource for anybody that's interested in, in, in human behavior. And it's uh, really whenever I've had lots of different economic sort of economists and, and business people, and I've even had a finance minister on my show, but 
you know, for me, economics is 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 the study of human behavior, right? So, you know, as an entrepreneur and 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 a thinker myself, I think if you can figure out humans, and I think humans are are hugely complex <laughs> pieces species. I think we're very problematic. But if if you can understand human behavior, then you can probably you've got the bones of a business, right? So you can come up with solutions that might lend themselves to solving all these problems that's out there. But whenever, so do you think you would have been fit to start Epsilon Theory in your 20s? Or did you have to go through four decades, nearly get to the fifth decade, where you had enough experience, life experience, business experience, political experience, social experience to say, do you know what, I'm going to start writing about this stuff because I now understand human behavior or I'm getting it. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, there's this famous uh, it's a story that was told by David Foster Wallace, famous novelist. He was giving this address at a, a commencement, a graduation address at a U.S. college. And the story he liked to tell was that there are these two young fish. They're swimming along. And an old fish comes by the other direction. And the old fish says to the two young fish, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish look at the old fish and go, yeah, yeah, whatever, Gramps, it's fine, yeah, whatever. And they swim on. And then one of the young fish looks at the other and says, what the hell is water? (laughs) (laughs) So this is the way I feel about narratives, the story arcs, the scripts that we are immersed in. They say morning, noon, and night, day after day, every day of our lives. It's the water in which we swim. And it's difficult to see the water, <laughs> especially when you're younger. Somebody will tell you a story. A politician will tell you a story. A CEO will tell you a story. A, um, you know, you'll, you'll read something in the newspaper and you'll go, huh, that's interesting. And again, it's because we, we literally can't help it. It's what it means to be a social animal is that we respond the stories. And so, yeah, it, 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 it takes practice. It takes, it takes practice and it takes both an inquisitiveness, an effort to kind of look for the truth. But I think that, that most of us have that in us, right? And it's, it does take, I think, often some experiences for when you're told a story and then you realize because it ends up hurting you, oh, that was just a story. It does take some experiences like that, I think, for anyone to start seeing the water. But the reason I write and the reason I try to talk about the role of story arcs and scripts and narratives in our politics and in our investing lives is to help people see the water. That's it exactly. So just on that very point, and I've been I've been excited about this next question for you for a while, right? Um, because as humans, we we all have our own, you know, we support our own sort of sports teams, we support yep. our own political parties. I live in Ireland, I live in the north of Ireland, but I'm Irish. I'm very much in into the opportunity of an all-island economy of mm-hmm. Irish reunification, what that can do, because I believe that kids in the north should have the same economic opportunities as kids in the south. So you may not be up to speed, but the, the, there's yep, this big yep. 
reunif- Irish reunification, Scottish reunification. We had German reunification, all of that. So, but I'm I'm really interested in how you deal then with your own internal bias, right? How do you, whenever you're writing, because we're all biased, right? And I, this is sure. something I've been push, pushing back against myself over the last two years, but particularly as we've maybe got a bit more profile about me, my podcast is doing well, and I'm starting to talk about important things. So how do you push back yourself, or do you just not push back? Because I do no. hear you talking about this a lot. No, Connor, you've, you've already reached, I'll call it the second level of thinking about narratives and story arcs. What I mean by that is I always start these conversations and people are often quite receptive to the idea that, oh, it's the water in which we swim. Other people are telling us stories. But the truth of the matter is, Connor, you put your finger on it. The most impactful stories are the stories we tell ourselves. Are the stories we tell ourselves. Because all of us live our lives as if we are the protagonist in a story. And we make sense of our own lives through these story arcs. Everyone wants to be, and you should be, the hero of your own story, the protagonist of your own story. So you're totally right that the most impactful stories are the stories we tell ourselves. And what that requires is that the same I'll say critical distance, not criticizing, but I'm saying a critical distance that we apply to others, like a politician or a central banker or a CEO. We apply, I think it's really important to apply a critical distance. Don't take what they say into your heart, no matter how compelling the story is. We have to apply that same critical distance to ourselves. And that's the hardest thing in the world, right? So there, there to, to my mind, there are two just forever and eternal truths about human behavior. And one, they were both talked about, they've been talked about for thousands of years, but they're most associated with two people. The first one, the first really important thing is, uh, frankly, is most associated with Jesus, right? Which is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule, the rule of empathy, which is just this core thing for guiding a good life. The other was really put out by Socrates, where he said, know thyself. And so when I talk about maintaining that critical distance and thinking about the stories that we tell ourselves, it all goes back to freaking Socrates, right? right? Know thyself. And I think there are some, some specific practices or actions we can all take to try to know ourselves better, to maintain that critical distance. And the, the one that I really recommend to people is that when you read a story and you think about how it's impacting you, oh my God, I can't believe you know, they're doing this in politics, or, oh my God, I can't believe the other team is doing this, you know, in sports or marketing, whatever it is, right? Just step back for a second and ask yourself, why am I reading this now? The answer might be, oh, because, you know, some big event just happened. So it's a story about that. But more often than not, what I find in this world 
is that stories are published in order to elicit a specific reaction from you, in order to tap into one of these stories that we tell ourselves. And it's, it doesn't mean you have to reject the story that you read. It doesn't mean you have to, in the U.S., you know, in Destiny, we say, fight the Fed. You don't have to fight it. But it's so important that you recognize that there is a story arc here and that the words and the phrases and the, the framing of a story and the framing of quote-unquote news is intentionally arranged to make it compelling to you, to make you engage with it. And it makes you engage with it to the degree that it fits or clicks or is in opposition to the story you tell yourself. So it's, it's all part and parcel. I'm really glad you brought that up, Connor, because again, the important thing is not just to focus on the stories that others tell us, mm. but also to think critically about the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite deep. And I think you can only understand that if you're either prepared to do the work on yourself and ask those deep questions of yourself. And normally sure. it, it, you have to get to a period in your life often whenever you're, you're challenged with things that you have to do that body of work. For me personally, it, it happened through a health uh, situation with myself yep. where this last 15 years I've been actually in this health sort of journey of transformation where I, where I had, a, had to actually find out it's really an identity issue. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's actually something I spoke to an amazing doctor, Jeffrey Rediger. Um, he's actually from your neck of the woods. He's, he's written an amazing book called Cured, C-U-R-E-D, about patients that he's um, studied over the last 20 years that have went on to experience spontaneous healing from often um, uh, diagnosis of cancer and all of that. Mm-hmm. And he uses, he, he, he talks about the four pillars, one being the pillar of identity. It's to try and understand yourself. And I think it, it speaks, we, we're talking about this now. I wanted to talk to you about bank of, about central banks and economics, but ultimately it comes back to you. Often what I say, Ben, myself is uh, over the last 20 years at home, I'm, I'm Clark Kent. But mm-hmm. when I go, when I leave the front door, I'm Superman. I change into this person mm-hmm. and, and I'm going out and I'm trying to sell money or real estate or whatever it is. And I think all of us are like that, you know, at home where, where you're Ben, at home with your family. But whenever you go into the hedge fund world, you're a different person. I'm interested in this one then. So whenever you were running your own hedge fund, the environment that you have now, I, I'm not sure how, how you, you operate with Epsilon Theory. Maybe you, you work on yeah. your own or you have others. But do you think the we are all products of our environment? So the environment that you're in sort of since you left, say, the hedge fund world is probably very different to that world. And do you think that environment has shaped your thoughts then as you write today about SBF and FTX and everything that happens, so, you know, do you, do you think, I think the answer to this, I think I know what you might say, but that environment that we keep is very important in terms of how we perform then, would you suggest, and how we behave and react to things? So there's so much to unpack there, Connor, right? Yeah, I so I, you know, the hedge fund, we, we run a hedge fund today, but it's a, it's a systematic hedge fund, whereas the hedge fund that I, I ran before was discretionary. And here's the difference. With a discretionary hedge fund where you have to, you know, think every, you know, every day you're thinking, you know, you know, where am I right? Where am I wrong? What you realize really quickly when you're running a discretionary fund is that you're wrong about something every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the simple truth. You're wrong about something 
every day. And the question is, what do you do about it? So it, it requires you to wrestle with the recognition that you were wrong. And I find that that's actually in, yeah, I'll say limited doses, right? A very healthy regimen for dealing with the world to recognize that you're wrong about something every day. The difficulty though, with running a kind of managing the personal and the professional with running discretionary hedge fund is that it ages you in dog years, yeah. right? Being wrong about something every day yeah. is something that's very unpleasant, again, to the story yeah. that we tell ourselves. And it's creating that sort of balance without going over to the extreme of creating these internal walls and barriers, becoming a sociopath in the clinical sense of the word, where you compartmentalize everything. That's a very common reaction to being wrong about something every day is you compartmentalize it and you say, no, that's someone else. And you start wearing these sort of masks, yeah. the, the, the Superman outfit like you're describing. Yeah. And what I think happens to a lot of people, and you, know, you could feel that happening to yourself, is you start to lose yourself and you start to forget what's the mask and what's the authentic human being underneath. And where that particularly plays out, I think, is that you start to lose the ability to connect with the people who are most important to you. Yeah. Your partner, your children, your family, the like. And I'll say for me personally, a decision. I'm, I'm never going to go back to that sort of world because if you, if you're going to take that seriously, if you're going to take managing other people's money seriously in a discretionary form where you have that responsibility, you've got to wrestle with the fact that a you're going to be wrong about something every day. Your focus and your 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 authentic being has to be on doing well by the other people who have entrusted you their money. And it's very damaging or can be very damaging, I think, to your sense of identity over any kind of longer period of time. So again, another long-winded answer, uh, but to a really important question. So the, the way I try to balance that today is to, we're you know, a registered investment advisor, but we do it in a systematic form where I don't have to wake up every morning saying, oh, should I do X or should I do Y? Right? We have our our process, and that's what we do. What it also frees me up to do, though, is to write authentically without pulling any punches, yeah. without writing to use my words to achieve some effect or a portfolio. What I write is totally separate from anything we do in the investing world. And so doing those two things, taking out the discretionary part, where to be legitimate and authentic about it, you have to take it on as your identity and being able to have to be able to write so I can speak my authentic mind. You know, I, I, I think those two things are, are really important. Last thing, Connor, and this, because I think you'll recognize this because you do a podcast. We all have something to say. <laughs> right? We've all got something to say. And finding that ability to 
speak and to use your voice, whether it's by creating a podcast, whether it's like I do, you know, write notes and blog and the like, I think that is so important in developing your own identity and, you know, being true to being a truth seeker. So anyway, again, long-winded answer, but it's a great question. Yeah, but I think it, I think if you know one of the reasons why I wanted to create my own business, and um, I suppose I was working in the real estate markets for twenty years for bigger companies, and often you can't really express yourself in those institutions and in those companies. You can't really be be yourself. And I think whenever you do something yourself and you create your own business, you get that it's like freedom, and you can express yourself. You've got your Absolutely. own identity. You, you can do, say, write what you want. Nobody can really tell you what to do within limits, and it's so empowering. Um, but look, we, we've we've went on far longer than I thought uh, talking about really important stuff, right? Absolutely. I never got to speak to you about any of the really boring things, right? But there's a couple of things. Wait a minute. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it a little bit. Let's, go ahead. Let's, okay. let's do a little so boring look, stuff. Yeah. Right. So look, um, I've I've got friendly with uh, Nick Leeson over the years. Nick's done some yeah. work for me, actually, and he's the original rogue trader. Uh, Absolutely. Fascinating, fascinating tale. Um, and and we're quite friendly and he comes on the pod now and again. And Nick Nick's a pretty pessimistic, sort of, you know, down kind of guy. Everything's kind of, you know, it's quite yeah. gloomy, you know. He's actually better fun when, when you're out with him and you meet him, really. But anyway, I was talking to him last week and he, he caught me in the hop a little bit, right? Because um, I mentioned to you before, but I'm, I'm an agent for the Bank of England. What does that mean? It means that uh, I'm one of 90 agents in, in Northern Ireland. There's 600 across the UK. And they update us. They come and speak to us every now and again to say, look, what's happening? You know, how's the property market going? What are people feeling? What are they thinking? Um, jobs, investment, FDI, all of that sort of stuff. And then they feed back into the Monetary Policy Committee. And they probably do a similar exercise in, in the U.S. Yep. And yep. It, it's, it's, it was interesting for me, Ben, because I never thought, you know, that was important. You know, the bank trying to figure out what's going on out there. So it's a really good resource for them to tap into, probably, people like me. Anyway, um, Nick caught me in the hop a little bit because most people that I've been speaking to of late are quite pessimistic about the next two years. At that right. Bank of England conference last week, the presentation, there was 40 of us in the room. They, they, they were really down in the mouth, two-year recession, quite gloomy interest rates in, in GB going to about 6%, and then they drop off. They were totally obsessed with getting inflation down to 2%, um, not 4%, 2%, right? Mm-hmm. And it was interesting, Ben, the slide they showed, you know, by not putting interest rates up to 6 maybe even to 5 so taking a bit of the heat out of it gets you to an inflation rate of about 4%, but but they, they, they're prepared to take on the, the extra damage in the economy to get it to 2 even though you and I probably understand that nobody knows if it'll go to 2 or not, but still that's their focus, right? Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, Nick wasn't as pessimistic about the U.S. economy, right? He actually thought that the U.S. is going for a bit of a soft landing. He thinks earnings is still really good in the U.S. He was more pessimistic about the U.K. and the EU, okay, over the next year. But that kind of surprised me because whenever you listen to who I think is an independent thinker in in Q. Henry and others who don't seem to be biased, they're seeing dead people and seeing destruction and, you know, it's quite theatrical. So I'm interested in your sober sort of view of, of things. If, if there is such a general view on where the US economy might be going as opposed to the UK and the, the EU. So, you know, the first thing I'll say is that 
I find so much of how we perceive the world is based on how we're wired as investors. So I will tell you, I'm wired as a short seller. My you know, hedge fund, that was what I primarily focused on was um, I, I am wired to find problems in companies. Right. Other investors, right, are wired very differently. They're wired to find, oh, here's a, an opportunity. Here's how they're going to succeed and grow. And, and for me, I, and I don't know why this is, but I'm just wired to look for the faults and then why something's going to fail. Okay. I, so I, at the same time, though, I, 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 Share what I think you're going with this, and I, but I and I bet Nick is 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 similarly wired like I am, and so that's why it kind of is in high information value when a person who's wired to be negative says something positive, or you know relatively positive. I agree with Nick that I'm relatively positive on the U.S. and. I think that what can derail this positive outlook I have for the U.S. is if we have continued or accelerated political polarization going into the 2024 election. Mm -hmm. That's my concern because I think there's a very deep and abiding well of uh, severe polarization between left and right here in the U.S., really severe. And I think it's, it's underestimated how severe the, the, the distance is between left and right from yeah. a, with a European audience. So that would be my caveat, as they'd say, mm. right, to mm-hmm. a relatively uh, upbeat, again, relatively, right? I mean, God knows there the, 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 the U.S. is at the same Issues of a sure. reversal in globalization and you know inflation and, and all these things, but there is still in the United States, I find a positive energy of entrepreneurialism and uh, and rebirth, right? And 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 looking for opportunity that I. You know, I don't know any other. I travel a lot. I don't know any other other country that, that that has that. I think there's a bit of that in Ireland, frankly, right? I really do. Um, but it's but it's particularly pronounced, I think, here in the United States. Still, you know, after after all that, you know, every Western country has gone through. So, I, so I'd kind of share Nick's view that I'm yeah. I am also wired to be a short seller and be pessimistic, but relatively speaking, I. You know, I think there's no better place than the United States with the caveat of I am still quite concerned about the political polarization going into 2020. Okay, so excellent. Um, really interesting stuff. I was out uh, walking yesterday. at a There's a mountain behind me with a friend of mine. He's, a, he's actually a human rights lawyer. And we were talking about the last three years of, of COVID Um you know, from a mental health perspective, everybody yeah. thought they were going to die. And then we figured out, well, most people didn't die. And I was hoping for a bit of a mental health boost coming out of that period because it was quite dark. 
for people to, to live through for different reasons. But then we've went into this, you know, everybody's going to go bust. We're not going to be able to afford this cost of living, cost of doing business crisis. And it, it actually, you know, the, the feeling over here where I am in this part of the world, it's it's quite difficult. You know, people are really struggling to, to deal with this yep. onslaught from big media, big pharma, big tech. It's just boom, boom. It's it's just onslaught and, and it, it, there's no sense then of it stopping. Okay, negativity, negativity. And for me personally, I've had to try and take a step back over the last six months to try and figure out, you know, how am I going to react to this? Yep. Right? So, you know, because I can I can only control the controllables. I can't change people's behavior. I can't change the media. So how am I going? So I'm, I've undertaken that body of work and, and it's been brilliant for my mental health, for my mindset and for work, my own goals and aspirations in life. But I was sharing with this other guy who's, 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 yeah. who's sort of still there. The point I was making to him, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this. So one of the best books and most fascinating books I've read is Team of Rivals about Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that about two years ago. It took me about nine months to read it. You probably know the book. It's so thick. It's a really tough oh, yeah. read, but yeah. it's amazing, right? And then about two weeks ago, I watched on BBC iPlayer. And again, if you if you can pick this up, The Rise of the Nazis in the 1930s where Hitler was, was the Nazis came in sort of 1931 and 1940. Yep. The point the point I'm making, and then we had the 70s, which was really problematic. We had two world wars in between, but then we've had the pandemic. And my point is that, and you've just made a point about you're concerned about the political polarization in the States. And I'm, I'm, I, f- I follow Megan Kelly's podcast. I listen to the politics that's going on in the States. I see how fragmented it is. But my observation, Ben, would be that there has always been unrest. There has always been wars. There has always been trouble. And I'm interested in your your response to this is, do you think it's any worse? I know what's going on with Ukraine and with China and, and, and Taiwan and all of that. And I know you're concerned about that. But my sense is that this has always been, there's always been turbulence. It's always been really bad. There's always been evil, right? Yeah. How do you, in that context, how do you contextualize where we are today, you in Connecticut, me in Belfast? Yeah. Here's, here's the difference between today and any point in the past. And it's what you described earlier, big media, big tech, big politics. Those are the three, the three-headed monster that I see. Yeah. And Cerberus. Exactly. And the reason they have, I believe, such an undue influence today is similarly three developments that have happened in the world. The first is a primarily a a media development, and that's the development of 24-7, always-on, quote-unquote, news channels. Yeah. I say quote-unquote because, you know, there's not enough news to fill up, you know, 30 minutes, much less 24 hours. So what all these shows do, and these are the the political 24-hour shows, it's also the market 24-hour shows. Yeah is that they bring on people who present an opinion as news. Right? So we have, we have 24-7 people providing opinions designed to get us to respond. Again, it's the messages, the story arcs that are marketing that are told to us. right? And the goal here is to drive engagement. The goal is not to make us like what they're saying. The goal is to make us engage and react with a powerful emotion to what they're saying. That's development number one. Development number two is that really with the 
great financial crisis in 2008, 2009. The aftermath of that was for central banks, for all politicians to use their words intentionally to try to change our behaviors. Yeah. Right? It's something that, polit- like you say, politicians have known this for thousands <clears throat> of years. But now everybody does it. Every CEO is trying to create a narrative about their company. Every central banker is trying to create a narrative about why this is good or this is bad. Everyone is in on the act. Right? That's two. And third, and maybe the most important, and I don't know, there's going to be a video. There's probably just a recording, but right now I'm holding up for the camera my iPhone. I like to call it my dopamine machine because I look at this all the time. It's the last thing I look at when I go to sleep at night. It's the first thing I look at when I wake up in the morning. Not my wife, this little machine. And how sad is that? But everyone, I think, to one degree or another now, is that we have allowed these machines into our lives so that we are constantly, and to a degree that's never existed before in human history, we are allowing these messages, these narratives, to wash over us all the time, all the time, every day, at every hour of the day, I'm allowing these messages to come wash over me. That's what's different, Connor. That's what's different. It's not, you're absolutely right about the events and human nature, all that's constant. What is different today is the structure of media around 24-7, the structure of effective economic and political uh, behavior, which is to tell a story. But most importantly, it's the growth of social media and the devices that spread it. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, except that I want to finish on on two things. Um, yeah, we have we have been on this sort of uh, free money sort of curve for the last twenty odd years. Interest rates have went to naught, and it's fascinating. I've I've learned a lot listening to um, some of your contributions around that. Um, but I'm interested. You know, interest rates are starting to sort of move up uh, to six percent here in the UK. And um, politically, it's it's more challenging in Europe. Um, to to raise interest rates because it's so split uh, in every way. Um, actually, the mood music in Europe, uh, living yep. in your in, in in this place, it's not great. It's it's a hard project to hold together. Um, but like, do you see interest rates generally sort of easing off in the states in the UK around six percentish? There's, it's, I mean, if my, my layman's ter- sort of outlook in this was if, if they go to 10%, everybody goes bust, we pack up and go home, you know. So just interested, like, do you, do you think the ceiling, the Fed won't go much harder on interest rates? Do you think that'll settle down and around where it's at now? Or how do you see that repricing of money um, moving forward in the next three years? Oh, I, I believe strongly, right, that, That in exactly the same way that lowering interest rates to zero did not achieve what central bankers hoped to achieve, which was inflation. They were trying to spur inflation. Similarly, raising interest rates from 0% to, say, 4%, that doesn't do anything to control inflation. It's only when you start getting, a, you know, I'll, I'll call it, my, you know, my rough number is 4%. Once you start getting over 4%, the hiking, the interest rate increases, 
actually start to gear into the real economy. They're hoping they can stop it in the U.S. They can stop it around 5%, that they can put on enough brakes at 5% to, to start bringing it slowly back down to their target. I'm not so sure they can, right? You know, my, my, my personal view is you raise interest rates to five, five and a half percent here in the United States. We can get inflation down to five percent, right? But you can't get it down to two percent, which is what they want to do. I, I think that to get it down there, you've got to crush everyone's psychology. And to crush that psychology, you've got to have basically another great recession. You've got to destroy home prices, you know, the way you did in 08. And that is the big question, right? Do, do, they, do they, they say that they're able, that they're willing to do that, but are they willing? Are they really? And I don't know the answer to that, but I, but I think that's, that's what we're going to find out, Connor. I, I think that, that the interest rates today can get inflation down to call it that 5% level. But do you stop there or do you go and say, no, we're going to get it back down to 2%? Because to do that, I think you've got to squeeze a lot harder. The complexity in all of what you're talking about there, and for me, this is something that I've started to only really understand the last 18 months, is everything comes back to politics. So, you know, whenever I was at the Bank of England presentation last week, I, I, I've sort of, who came up with this 2%? I, I, I never understood who came up with, did they just go, well, what about 2%? That sounds like a good inflation target. Let's keep that at, as a global rate. But then the economist beside me uh, gave me a decent enough answer, which made made sense to me here in the UK, was that you know inflation's at two percent because if it's running at five percent, then people in the NHS and you know the the, the um, civil service will want pay increases in line with. So yep. so it comes back to politics. So as low as we possibly can keep it, then we can keep everyone in that sort of pay scale. So the penny started. To drop with me on that front, that it's pay related, so ultimately it's political. So, do you think because you're sort of Biden's two years in this campaign, it's politically challenging now in the states with everything that's going on, that that's a real driver in this industry discussion? And how much autonomy really does the Fed have then, if any, Ben? <clears throat> well, I think they've got a good bit of autonomy because as politically. Um, damaging as a recession and losing a job is, the constant damage of, oh my God, you know, I can't afford to go eat out anymore. You know, I I can't afford to, you know, send my kids to college. I mean, mean, that's even more politically damaging. So it's, um, this is, you know, we have to pay the piper. And we've had 40 years of not having to worry about this, not having these trade-offs, and those days are over. So, you know, you have to play the cards you're dealt. These are the cards that have been dealt. We have to deal with the world as it is, the way it is. We're not going back to the world before. And we have to chart the world going forward, being as authentic and true to ourselves, seeing the stories that we're telling ourselves and that others are telling us. That's the best we can do. So. Let's do it. Okay, final one then. So could, could, could you leave me with some hope? Um, I've, I've heard you speak about this, about the importance of finding your community and your tribe and your pack. 
Yeah. And so, I, I, yeah, I started writing Epsilon Theory because I was in a pretty dark place. Right? Because I didn't see, I saw all the stories and the narratives and it seemed to be pretty hopeless. But it's precisely in writing it and finding that there are hundreds of thousands of people all over the world who, like you, Connor, are truth seekers. And we're just trying to figure this shit out. And so long as we can find each other, then I've got, I've got all the hope in the world because this is how the world changes. It, it always changes from the bottom up, not from the yeah. top down. The world really changes from the bottom up. And I get an enormous amount of, of optimism from having conversations like this, Connor. That's what does it for me. Amazing. So look, I just want to thank you, Ben, for um, My pleasure. everything that you've done. It's been amazing to speak to you. And I'm looking forward to getting stuck into Epsilon Theory over the weeks and months ahead. So Ben Hunt, thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Thank you, Connor. Appreciate it. Take care. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the summary of episode number 49. That was a really deep Big conversation that I had with Ben Hunt, but I really enjoyed it. I would really encourage you, if you're interested in politics and business and understanding human behavior, understanding some of the big events that's going on in the world right now, to check out Epsilon Theory. Ben's website, find him on Twitter. He's Twittering often. His views and perspective on things is, I just think it's really, really helpful um, how he thinks about things. And I think as a resource, I think he is an amazing resource for certainly people uh, like me uh, personally to try and figure out uh, some of what's happening, how all of this stuff is impacting our lives. Some really interesting stuff there around in terms of Ben's view on the US economy. He is certainly a bit more optimistic than many of the other people I've been speaking to. He does share Nick Leeson's view that they might be in for a kind of a soft landing. However, he did caveat that around the concern he does have for politics and how fragmented politics is in the US right now. And I've been following uh, the US politics situation now for five or six years. And with Biden entering the last two years of his presidency, um, things are getting really hot with Trump obviously nominating to run and Ron DeSantis, who... Uh, will probably run against him for the Republican nomination. I think that's going to get really nasty. And it's interesting, and it is really important, actually, who ends up winning um, that Republican nomination and who ultimately ends up being the president of the United States in only 24 months' time because the US, whether you like it or you don't like it, uh, does set the tone for global politics and often the economic outcomes that can happen then in the subsequent four to six years after the president is named, given depending upon certain economic policies that that current president might implement. So it's an important time for the world whenever the US sort of president campaign comes up. And I thought Ben's take on that was really, really interesting. I thought it was interesting whenever he talked about the central banks and the fact that the Fed are trying to crush inflation. He does think that the Fed might continue to increase rates in the United States. I thought that was really interesting. And then to finally finish off in the conversation uh, on a positive note, the importance of finding your tribe, finding your community, finding your voice, actually. 
and the importance, something that I talk about a lot of integrity, you know, being true to yourself. Ben called me a truth seeker. I'm happy with that. That's fine. I've always been someone who's curious, who's trying to figure out things and, and be honest with people, speak your mind. Um, I thought that was really interesting and I was glad to hear uh, Ben endorse that pathway in life. So if you're listening to this podcast and you are an independent thinker and you have a passion for something and you believe in something and you do have integrity as a, an integral part to your very existence, then I would encourage you to stick with that um, and to go and find your own path, find your own tribe, uh, find your own community. And certainly that's something that I've been doing for the last few years on Instagram where I'm so passionate about health, about sharing my own journey of, of healing and health and how that might be able to help other people who are struggling with any kind of disease or challenge or problem in their own life. So that was great endorsement for me. It was brilliant to hear Ben endorsing that pathway. So find your tribe, find your pack um, and try and stay optimistic, which was a really, um, really powerful um, result, um, a really powerful way to end that conversation with Ben Hunt. So look, that's been episode number 49. You're listening to Money and Plants. If you like the show, please leave me a review and share it with a friend. You can reach me at connor at connordivine.com. I would love to hear your feedback on the show. I'd love to hear your feedback on Ben, his thoughts on how the world is going right now. So until next time, look after yourself and each other. <laughs>